Greetings humans and welcome to Lefteris Ask Science edition number 18, the podcast where I annoy researchers and academics and I ask questions until I understand what, how and why they do what they do. This week we will talk about erosion. What is erosion? What is important for erosion? And what do scientists do to choose the correct material for a specific application? To do this, I talked with an old friend of mine from my PhD days, Dr. Anirudh Venkatraman from the National University of Singapore. It's been a couple of episodes where I've been extremely unfamiliar with the topics, and while that was amazing, I felt I needed to have a discussion about a topic I also have some experience with. Before we go on with the show, if you enjoy listening to it, please subscribe to the podcast and share it as it's the best way for the podcast to grow. Additionally, I have a weekly newsletter where I share my favorite news from the world of science and academia. I have small explanations and links to the research for anyone who wants to find out more. Go to the show notes and click that link to subscribe to the newsletter. Also, if you have any questions or suggestions, go ahead and follow me on Twitter at lefteris underscore asks and email me at lefteris at lefteris.com. Let's now meet Dr. Anirudh Venkatraman. Uh, hi everyone, I'm Anirudh. I'm currently a postdoctoral researcher in NUS. I work on a couple of projects, one including um, erosion and corrosion of steels, and the other including lightweighting magnesium-based alloys using novel design techniques. I think this might be the simplest, most straightforward question I've asked in this podcast. But what is erosion? Uh, erosion is actually a phenomenon where material is being removed from the from the base material, and uh, this can happen due to various scenarios. And uh, while a previous episode of yours focused on cavitation erosion, I think mine is more focused on impact erosion, where there are particles actually impinging on the target and thereby removing material through a mechanical mold. So um, these particles uh, dig into the material and slowly plow out. Uh, the material, thereby resulting in removal of material. Dr. Vakantraman is referring to edition number 7, where I talked with Dr. Yves Paquette about the effect of bubbles can have in materials. I'll have the link in the description for anyone who wants to take a listen to it again. So, in his PhD work, Dr. Vakantraman tried to see how small moving particles affect the lifetime and the performance of materials. Applications like oil and gas and energy generation are just some examples where erosion takes place. But erosion isn't something new, it has been studied for many years. What is the exact topic of his work? Uh, no matter what, erosion cannot be stopped. Uh, materials will continue to erode due to these uh, sand particles. However, uh, you can't predict how much erosion is happening in each scenario which material is going to erode more, which material is going to erode lesser, and which may be a suitable uh, material in a, in a given scenario. So uh, my work mostly focused on arriving at these conditions for two materials, one is mild steel and the other is stainless steel. Now both these materials are not so commonly used in the oil and gas industry. However, uh, these materials are one of the most uh, sought after materials in various industries. So the science behind um, the erosion is what I'm actually focusing on. So um, mild steel, though, is um, never ever used in subsea applications. They do find applications uh, on the surface. 
and therefore uh, that may be a good option there but because like in on surface you still have power generation which happens so there you still need to use pipelines and those pipelines though maybe medium carbon or alloy steels and things like that um mild steel forms a good basis for science and therefore i chose mild steel stainless steel on the other hand uh, has a lot of information regarding uh, material deformation processes and um, you know those kind of modeling related aspects are very prevalent and uh, in stainless steel at least so i think that was my first choice though and mild steel became my second choice eventually to account for science as well Dr. Venkatraman is coming from an industry background and I really enjoyed the fact that he uses two different materials with very specific end goals in mind. Stainless steel is very well studied and there is a great amount of information about it. And he says for mild steel it's very important to understand the science questions that eventually will put some new information in the literature about erosion. When he had this to say about mild steel you can actually uh, easily predict what is happening below the surface of the material for example uh, if if the uh, if if a particle is actually impinging on a target what you can see from outside is only what is happening on the top so you will find an eroded crater but what is happening below the crater is there a difference in the grains is there a difference in the deformation processes is there a difference in the hardness and things like that uh, are all something which you can quantify quite easily on mild steel when compared to stainless steel having some experience in academia i was expecting a lot of his work to be done by simulations at the end of the day you can't actually take measurements on a pipe that is deep beneath the earth or underwater however as i mentioned before dr vakantraman already has some experience working in a company that dealt with the problem of erosion and he shared an experience that they made him go for the phd uh back when i was working um in fmc technologies uh, as part uh, as a simulations engineer one of the things that i saw was i was asked to do an erosion calculation just using an excel file and uh, for me that seemed quite strange because people were not really focusing too much on using simulations to predict erosion and erosion simulations were quite prevalent even back then so this is this is hardly about 5 6 years ago but i was asked to do it using an excel sheet which implied that there was uh, quite a lot of difference between what people wanted what people got and you know what they uh, you know are actually doing so uh, they they wanted to see how erosion was happening they had the simulation software and all that but they just hadn't uh, they didn't have the time to do the simulations because all the simulations take a lot of time the net effect was that well as long as we are conservative in the oil and gas industry you know we can just uh, use an excel sheet to figure out what's an what's the range in which erosion is going to happen and just account for that uh, for a period of 25 years because that's the expected lifetime of the pipeline so in the industry Most of the times they can't wait for the computer simulation to be done in order to give them an indication about what to do in real life. In this next bit there is a lot of information, but Dr. Vengatraman is doing a great job explaining all the parameters that are included in such an excel sheet which he then used in his research so that he can create a tool for design engineers. 
so um, let's go one by one. So the first thing was velocities. Uh, so velocities vary from different fields. Uh, different oil fields provide different velocities because of the amount of oil that they have and the expected lifetime of the oil and things like that. Uh, so velocities normally range from 6 meters per second to about uh, 30 to 35 meters per second. Uh, one thing from literature review that we know is that lower velocities cause much lower erosion when compared to higher velocities. It's simply the fact that uh, at lower velocities, your particle has lesser energy and therefore it will remove lesser material. And at higher velocities, you have more energy, so you can remove more materials. And that being said, we focus therefore on the higher velocities because we have a shorter time frame for research. And what we did there was to choose at least three points for research. Then moving on to particle sizes. Particle sizes, uh, particle actually plays a crucial role in the fact that its shape, its material, and uh, the size, all of it decide how much material you can actually remove with it. So a spherical particle is known to remove lesser material than an angular particle. Then a larger particle is expected to remove more material than a smaller particle. And a denser or a heavier particle is expected to have more energy. And therefore, uh, if it is hard enough, it will remove uh, more material as well. Usually you end up seeing uh, silica-based uh, particles in this in, in real-world applications, but because silica has its own set of health concerns, we were not uh, ready to uh, adopt silica. We would rather go with a more friendlier option, which is alumina. Alumina is hard, and uh, then we uh, it has a similar density as silica, and um, in addition, we chose the angular particles because they actually are the normal shape that you would expect to see in a field. Not all particles in a field are spherical. So we chose the worst case scenarios being these. That being said, the next thing was, of course, angle of impact. Now, it's kind of difficult to maintain a fixed angle of impact if you're working on a pipeline. Okay, because the depending on the region you impinge, you're going to see different impact angles. So to avoid that problem, we just chose flat samples. And using flat samples and maintaining a jet angle, we were able to uh, arrive at a fixed uh, impact angle for the water jet. The goal of my research was not to uh, then use these results into simulations, but to develop a model in itself, which the engineers can use, like I mentioned, using the Excel sheet. So it kind of solves a lot of problem beforehand. So that was my um, that was my focus of the research, not to aid in simulations, but to give the designers a tool to use while doing the designs in order to account for erosion in stress scenarios as well. Since we have a flat sample now, uh, you can actually use a hydraulic cylinder to apply tension onto the sample. So this is exactly uh, this is kind of this idea kind of came in from a normal tensile testing machine where you have a hydraulic pump which either pulls down the system or pull, pushes up the system depending on whether you are in a tension mode or a compression mode. So considering that uh, here we are looking at tensile stresses, I employed a hydraulic cylinder. I kind of designed and developed the whole setup such that it is watertight while using this hydraulic cylinder and uh, ensured that the loads are met by using a strain gauge. So I used a strain gauge and a strain reader 
to arrive at the stresses in the material. But before I did this, I did the normal tensile and compression tests separately to arrive at the actual yield strength of the material itself to verify that this is the load that we're looking at. So I had done the initial tensile compression testing and I also used the strain gauges to arrive at the uh, strains in the material before testing. So during his PhD, Dr. Venkatraman did around 300 tests per material, part of the reason why PhDs take such a long time to finish. The amount of tests is enormous, and after you do these tests, you have to do measurements or characterizations to see what was the effect of each test of the material. Once we do all these tests, we first weigh the sample. So the first thing we do is we weigh the sample before the experiment and after the experiment to arrive at the weight loss. But in most case scenarios, weight loss is not an accurate representation of the erosion that is happening. Then we go ahead and see how, the, how deep the crater is formed. So then we use a 3D profiler to arrive at the uh, profile to identify how much, how deep each of the crater is. And uh, from there on, we arrive at erosion rates. And uh, then we also characterize what kind of erosion mechanisms have been happening. Um, because at different impact angles, you have different erosion mechanisms. So we use a scanning electron microscopy to identify uh, whether it's, uh, you know, kind of sliding through or is it plowing through or is it just indenting into the sample, depending on the impact angle. So at lower impact angles, you will find sliding. At a medium impact angle, you'll find plowing happening, something like how we see in the agricultural field. And um, at higher impact angles, close to 90 degrees, we see an indentation. This is kind of similar like driving a nail through a piece of wood. So you will find a very sharp um, indent in case of a normal impact. Dr. Vengatraman's work is under review to be published, so we can't really go further into his own findings of the work. As much as I was curious about it, he couldn't disclose any information. However, he did have a story and some results that are already published in the literature. So when I came in to do my PhD in 2015, um, that was the year that the paper actually got published. So that I came in in August, and when I started redoing my literature review, I found a paper published, uh, I think about April or May, saying that um, this work has been done now. So that is when I hit my first roadblock. Because my work was no longer novel, because someone had already worked on it, someone had already published that work, and that is where things got a little different. What I noticed, though, was that they had done it on an industrial um, standard pipeline material. And uh, that gave them quite a bit of an edge, firstly, for them to be taken seriously. Secondly, they also showed that the erosion rates increased tremendously when they applied a stress. So when they applied a stress of up to 60% of the yield strength, they found that the erosion rates uh, actually doubled. Uh, at an impact angle of 30 degrees. And that means if you're expecting a 25 year uh, pipeline uh, or pipe uh, life, you're not going to see a 25 years. You may actually see something very less, maybe even six years or seven years. 
so that was actually a starting point to you know well into this research even more and um, surprisingly though um, you know what in the last five years they have published a few papers but they have all been focusing on just the one material and that is kind of concerning to me because uh, given the given my background in oil and gas industry every company has a different material okay it's just that uh, some of them are trademarked and things like that so another company may not be able to use the exact same thing so if someone is using like uh, you know let's say 0.3 percent uh, of some constituent the other person may have to do a 0.25 percent just because of trademarks and things like that i was kind of surprised that they only stuck to one material and that is what helped me actually continue my research i i chose uh, my i chose stainless steel first uh, this was even before i came to singapore um, but after i came into singapore and seeing this paper i thought it makes sense to actually and uh, answer these questions through science and that is when i chose smile steel but my results were kind of uh, different from what the others had observed and yes that part of it i'm still not allowed to uh, disclose at this point of time hopefully in a couple of months but not right now <laughs> i can tell you from experience that finding your research question is quite a tiring task and I can't even imagine how Dr. Vagantraman felt when he found a publication that at least seemed to do what you initially wanted to do. On one side, you feel stressed because somebody else is doing what you do, but there is a small part of you that sees some form of validation, that the way you're thinking is following the right track, and then you ultimately want to combine your knowledge with the rest of the knowledge in the literature so that you can create even more results. I will happily have Dr. Vagnatraman again in the show where we can discuss more freely about his results and the differences between works. One last thing I wanted to know. I came from a complete academic background and I did a PhD. I went from master's, second master's to PhD. However, I wanted to see how it was to have an industry background and combine it with the academic knowledge. Combining the industry and um the academic ex expectations, I would say, is kind of not easy because uh, the industry kind of wants a specialized study, I would say, because uh, you remember I mentioned uh, that um, different industry, uh, different companies have their different trademark materials, right? So if you do it on one particular material, it may not be valid for another different material. And uh, that is kind of uh, the given when you're, work when you're coming from an industry, kind of have that uh, knowledge that it's not going to be a simple one-shot answer for everyone. And that is kind of one of the reasons why I chose stainless steel, uh, because it had a good basis of uh, modeling. And uh, therefore, I can answer a lot of questions depending on what uh, modeling has already been done. And when this uh, group uh, published papers on an industry standard material, I kind of, uh, kind of made me feel better that, okay, I'm not actually continuing to focus on the industry because there is someone already doing that. I think here's where I come in. I answer the questions from a science perspective and I actually give you the reasons why a particular material may see an effect or may not see an effect. And that is, um, or to what extent they may see an effect because, well, there is going to be an effect always. Um, 
whether they're going to, it's going to be like an increase uh, by 0.5% or going to be an increase by 100%, that depends on the material. And therefore, uh, this is where I come in, uh, saying that my industrial experience shows that this thing exists. And I'm not going to focus on what the other group is doing. I may as well try to explain things from a science perspective. And um, while the other group is focusing more on uh, simulations, CFD, and those kind of uh, zones, I'm going to continue to answer my questions from science and provide an answer to the designer who wants to design his pipeline uh, before you know going into the simulations. That way, you cut down on a lot of time uh, redesigning your whole pipeline and systems. And that's it for another edition of Lefteris Ask Science. I'd like to thank Dr. Anirudh Venkantraman for his time and wish him luck for his future work. If you want to find out more about his work, I'll leave some links in the description of the show. And when his paper is published, I will definitely be sharing it on my Twitter and hopefully have him again to discuss. If you'd like to help, then please share the episode with your friends since that's the best way for the podcast to grow. You can always contact me on Twitter at lefteris underscore asks for any suggestions or questions that you might have. Until we meet again, take care, keep learning, and be kind.